Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, powered by Christianity Today. I'm glad you're with us today. Doug is not with me on this particular episode. This is a very unique and special episode. You're about to hear a conversation with someone that I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know. You're going to hear about a story and you're going to wonder, wait a second, what does this have to do with ministry? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be some parallels to ministry, some connections, but every now and then, especially in the intensity and the difficulty of the past year, sometimes we need a heartwarming story to be able to listen to. This story is a super fun story, and you're going to really enjoy this guest. He's not a pastor. He's never served in formal ministry, but it's a fantastic story that's going to make you smile, and you're going to say, no way. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Enjoy this conversation, even though it's different. I really believe, as does Doug, that this is going to be one that you're really going to appreciate. Enjoy this conversation. Ben Malcolmson is an author, speaker, and mentor figure, and he served as special assistant to coach Pete Carroll when he was the coach for the University of Southern California Trojans football team and also for the Seattle Seahawks. He first met Coach Carroll when he was a newspaper reporter for USC's Daily Trojan. And then three years later, when he accidentally earned a roster spot as a wide receiver on the 2006 Rose Bowl champion USC football team. That's right. We're going to unpack his story in this conversation. He wrote a book about the experience titled Walk On from Pee Wee Dropout to the NFL Sidelines, My Unlikely Story of Football, Purpose, and Following an Amazing God. And the foreword of the book was written by none other than Coach Pete Carroll. After his one fairy tale season ended, Ben became the director of online media for the USC football team, where he created and managed the groundbreaking online presence for the Trojans, as well as PeteCarroll.com. And he's also been a contributing writer for Sports Illustrated, the Associated Press, USA Today, and the Dallas Morning News. A few additional fun facts about Ben. He and his friend helped bring Chick-fil-A to Seattle after a video of their 13-hour road trip went viral. He volunteered with the organization called Young Life, where he led a group of 12th grade guys. His faith informs his life and leadership on every level. He's also a friend of our family, where he plays pickleball with my father and serves in a coaching relationship with my brother. He and his wife and young child recently left Seattle and have relocated to Phoenix, Arizona, where Ben began a career outside of football. Enjoy this really, really fun and engaging conversation with Ben Malcolmson. Well, Ben, thanks so much for being with us here on the show today. Oh, it's great to be with you, JR. Well, I've been looking forward to this conversation, Ben, on a lot of different levels. And I know this is kind of an open-ended question uh, to kind of say, tell me your story. But your story is so unique and so fun in reading your book, Walk On. Uh, tell us the story, the football story. I know we could start back in your birth, but tell <laughs> us very briefly in a couple minutes uh, about the story of Walk On. Yeah, so I was a uh, student newspaper reporter at USC, University of Southern California, out in LA. And uh, I was a journalism major, just trying to find my way through college and figure out what I was going to do when I graduated. And uh, 
stumbled into journalism because I loved watching ESPN. So I was like, maybe I could be on there someday. Uh, part of the assignment for the major was writing for the school newspaper. And my, my assignment for the school newspaper was covering the football team. And at the time, it was USC's glory years. It was the mid-2000s. So it was Matt Liner at Reggie Bush, uh, one of the greatest collection of years of all time in college football history. So it was a really special time to be there and to cover the team. And it was a dream job for a college student. I mean, I got to go to every single home and away game for three years, two Heisman Trophy ceremonies, three national championships championship football games. It was a, it was a dream to do that as a, a college student. And I was gearing up to graduate spring of my senior year. I needed to write my last article for the school newspaper. And I figured I'll, I'll write an article about walk-ons on the football team. They're end of the bench guys, the guys that don't, don't get scholarships and they definitely don't get newspaper articles written about them, even in the student newspaper. So I was like, I'll, I'll shine some light on these guys and do some interviews with the walk-ons and then I saw that there were walk-on tryouts coming up that any student at USC could try out. And I was like, oh, well, that's a cool angle to the story. I'll, I'll interview some of those guys too. Interview some of those guys. And then it hits me, well, I'll take it even a step further. And why don't I go through the tryout myself? Get a first-person perspective, show how hard it is. And it'll be a joke because <laughs> I was the student newspaper reporter. And this was the number one team in the country. And I hadn't played football since fifth grade. <laughs> so it was going to be the biggest joke of all time. And I was, I mean, I was 160 pounds. I mean, it was, it was just going to be, I could make fun of myself in this article, show how hard it is. And, and that's that and go on and graduate, move on, find a job in, in, at a newspaper somewhere. So I go through the tryout and I got my butt kicked, but it was the experience of a lifetime. I mean, I got to try out for the number one team in college football and uh, went home that night. Couldn't wait to start writing that story. I had a few days to work on it. Um, and the morning after the tryout, I get a phone call saying that I made the team. <laughs> and that was my initial reaction too. Uh, I just started laughing. I was like, okay, is this a prank call? Like, who is this? And the lady was like, no, your name's on the list. You need to come check in. You're on the football team. <laughs> so my heart dropped and it, it stopped beating in that moment because there's no way, you know, there's no possible way I could take the team. I hadn't played football in 11 years. I was 160 pounds. Like, this is the best team in the country. There's no possible way. <laughs> so I hustled over to the football building and there it is. My name's on the list. And I, I, it was real. I was on the team. So all of a sudden I go from a student newspaper reporter who was a month from graduating to a wide receiver on USC football team. Uh, I go get handed my helmet, my pads. I mean, I didn't know which way it was front and back on the pad. You know, <laughs> like I was a fish out of water. Uh, first day of practice, I'm getting my bell rung. I mean, I just get helmet to helmet hit. My chin strap breaks. I don't know what's which way's up, which way's down. Um, I didn't know how to take a hit. I didn't know how to give a hit. I didn't know how to run a route. You know, here I was just, I was, I was a mess. My playbook, I'm trying to study my playbook, but it's like learning Japanese. You know, it's, it's another language. I was, I was so lost. Uh, about a month into spring practice, I, I was out blocking a cornerback on a play and I got my hand caught in his pad and we get all tangled up and I ended up dislocating my shoulder. And uh, it was a pretty serious injury that the team doctors uh, hustled out to take care of me. They sent me to the hospital there on campus right away. And the doctor was like, yeah, you need emergency reconstructive surgery on your shoulder. You're, you're definitely done playing football. Um, and you might lose function of your arm if you don't get this done quick. So um, I get sent to surgery pretty quickly and um, they reattach everything and uh they said that the minimum recovery just to get back to functioning in life is nine months um so start rehab when it start when you can get better and all that and 
and then you're going to be out for nine months to, of doing anything, you know? So there I was uh, pretty discouraged because I was starting to take hold of this new life, you know, and it was, it was a gift, you know, it was like, I, I didn't deserve to be on that team. I didn't dream about it my whole life. I didn't work towards it my whole life. It was just a golden opportunity that came out of nowhere. I mean, we can look at it now and say it was, it was a gift from God, you know, but in the moment, I'm just like, wow, like this is just, it came out of nowhere. And then a month later with that injury, it got taken from me. So it was very discouraging. And uh, I think we can all relate to something like that in our lives that you start to, to press into something and start to take hold of something new. And then it, you change course uh, totally unexpectedly. So for some reason I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to devote myself to the rehab and, and maybe I can, can get back to normal life in less than nine months. Cause I, I can't stand to be in a sling for the next nine months. You know, like yeah. I was pretty active and even if I wasn't going to play football ever again, I wanted to play ping pong and shoot hoops and, and everything. So um, I, I just devoted myself to the rehab process and, and four and a half months after the surgery, I'm getting a checkup with the doctor and he's like, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've, I've actually never seen this before, but you're actually 100% healthy. Uh. Um, when, when was your surgery? And I was like, Oh, it was four and a half months ago. He's like, there's no way there's no possible way. And he's like, well, you're, you're cleared and you can actually get back to playing football now too. So there I was, it was the first week of the season in the fall. Um, just divine miracle. You know, there's no other, other way to explain it. And so there, I mean, I, I had no shot of playing, but it, it was nice to just be a part of the team, you know, and, and back to practicing and um, just to, to be a part of this incredible journey once again, that I thought was gone forever. So I, I go through that fall, just content to play uh, in practice, you know, like there was no shot of me playing because that team had 53 guys that would go on and play in the NFL. It was stacked, you know, it was just a loaded roster. Uh, but I was kind of alone in that that desire to just be content being a part of the practice squad. Uh, there was a group of students that started a campaign called Get Ben In. They wanted Yeah, to... I love this part of the book. Yeah, I'm so glad you're talking about Get Ben In. Talk about the Get Ben In campaign. Yeah, they, they wanted to see just the average Joe student get into a game. So they, they made t-shirts. They were chanting in the student section. They got on college game day. I mean, all these things to, to kind of get this grassroots campaign going. And uh, I mean... Honestly, we had to be up by a hundred points for me to get a chance to play in a game because I didn't deserve to be in a game. And there we are, last game of the year against Notre Dame. I hadn't gotten into the game yet. We get up twenty points, and uh, last play of the game, Coach Carroll turns around. He's like, "Benny, you're in. Get in there." And the student section's chanting, "Get Ben in!" <laughs> National TV game. It was just, it was a, a fairy tale ending for for that story. So. Um, that's great pretty incredible and i got it you walk on you get you get you know write an article you get picked you know you get you're on the team you get injured you finally get in the game and if that was the story and it ended there that would be great oh yeah but the story kept going talk about part two or chapter two of that story (laughs) well that's the coolest thing about it is like that story alone is that you could make a disney movie out of it and and i was approached by several producers at the time to mm. turn that into a movie. Um, but what God was up to was far greater than just a cute little football story. Mm. Um, I had this scent right when I made the team that God had me there for a purpose. Um, it was this overwhelming sense that you, it was hard to put into words. You know, I think we can all relate every person listening. You kind of just feel that nudge on your heart and it's not the audible voice of God by any means, but it's just this, this overwhelming sense that 
God has me there for a purpose. So I was pressing into it from day one. I, I just couldn't wait to see why God put me on that team because there had to be a reason he put me there because I wasn't a football player, <laughs> you know, like there's some supernatural reason he has me on this team. So, um, I, I was pressing into it from day one and I, I, I don't know, a month or so into being on the team, I get this idea. I'll start a Bible study for the team. There, there wasn't a Bible study going on and I'll start one, you know, maybe this is my purpose of being on the team. So I told all my teammates, got a flyer, put passes it out to all my teammates, put it all around the locker room, got a lesson ready. So I was sitting in the room ready for the Bible study to start and no one showed up. Uh, there's a hundred guys on the team. You'd think that at least one other person would show up. So I was obviously discouraged. I mean, man, I, God, you put me on this team for a reason. Like, it, why, why can't you bring someone to the, to the Bible study? Yeah, and you talked about that with great detail and intensity in the book of just like the shame, the embarrassment. Oh, yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Why not one person showing up? You did a good job kind of articulating what that felt like being all alone in the room. Well, yeah, and you, you put yourself out on a limb too. I mean, you're you're trying to to shine a light in a dark place and every person listening can relate with that. You know, <laughs> like you, you put yourself out there and then it doesn't just get met with like, less people than you thought would come, but zero, you know, zero. Like, uh, we can all relate with that. And it's like, it just instantly you go to questioning, like, God, did I miss, did I mishear something? Did I miss a direction from you? Like what, what is going on? And so it took me a while to kind of wrestle through that and, and get through that discouragement. And, um, about a month or so later, I get another nudge on my heart that, um, I'll start a prayer group for the team. Maybe the Bible study was too, too intimidating, you know, they didn't want to open up a Bible, but prayer i mean it's like football is a pretty like christian culture thing and they pray before games so maybe we could pray together as a team and went through the same thing told all my teammates got a flyer got a room all that and the time comes for our prayer meeting and no one showed up once again so now i'm twice as discouraged twice as defeated like questioning even more like god what's my purpose on this team what why am i just missing it like what's going on here so it took me a little while to get through that. And then I was reading in Matthew five, it says, let your light shine before men. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that I was so focused on creating an event, you know, doing something for God when God's just like, just be a light, you know, just be a light. So I was like, okay, this is my purpose of being on this team is just to be a light and God's going to do some incredible things. And I mean, I was so expectant, you know, <laughs> like, okay, if I'm just a light, all I have to do is just be a light. God's going to show up and, and really, I'm going to see a lot of fruit from this. But as, as it usually goes, you don't usually see the fruit immediately, you know, in your timing. Um, and so there I was weeks into quote unquote, being a light and I'm not seeing any fruit, you know, like none of my teammates are coming to Jesus. None of I'm not even having spiritual conversations with any of my teammates. You know, it's like, and here I am again, discouraged, questioning, God, what's my purpose on this team? Like, what am I missing here? So here we are. We're already at the end of the season at this point. I mean, I'm running out of time. I only had that one season to play since I was a senior. And I was reading in Isaiah 55 and it says, if his word goes out, it will not return void. And that hit me so strongly that if his word goes out, it's not going to return empty. It's going to achieve the purpose that God has for it. And God is always faithful to his promises. He's always true to his word. So I'm going to put his word out there and being a overzealous very literal 21 year old, I was going to put Bibles in every single one of my teammates lockers. 
because that's God's word and it's not going to return empty. So I called my grandfather who was just a, a spiritual uh, just mentor to me and just kind of a spiritual father to me in many ways and told him this idea. And he's like, Oh, it sounds like a great idea. I'll send you a hundred Bibles. So he, he kind of funded the mission and I get a box of a hundred Bibles in the mail a week later and it was right around Christmas time. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll disguise this as a Christmas gift to my teammates, an anonymous Christmas gift. So I, I typed up a little note that said a Christmas gift from you, from uh, anonymous, you know, uh, uh, here's a, here's a Bible. And more importantly, it's the gift of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. And uh, placed one in every single one of my teammates' lockers in the middle of the night. I, di I didn't want any anyone to know that this was me because I was tired of putting myself out there and looking like a failure every single time I had done that before. So this one was going to be like a thief in the night, you know, just put Bibles in all my teammates' lockers and, and see where it goes from there. And so we showed up the day, next day after I put them in the lockers. And I mean, I was fully expecting like revival to break out, my teammates to be singing the hallelujah chorus as I walked through the doors, you know, like gold light emanating from the locker room. Like I was so excited because God had brought me through all this failure to get to this point. This was my purpose on that team. And this had to be it because I had a week left on the team. You know, there's no more time after that. So I walk into the locker room and the Bibles are ripped up, shredded everywhere. You couldn't even see the carpet of the locker room because the Bibles were just shredded, torn up everywhere. So I go in with the highest of hopes and the greatest of expectations to all of a sudden the biggest gut punch you could ever imagine. I pour my heart and soul into finding my purpose on the team. I had I'd gone through all this failure to get to this point where I thought this had to be a God idea. And then not only did it fail like everything else, but it got blown up in my face. You know, Bibles are ripped up, shredded everywhere. So I was as low as you could get, just absolutely defeated. And uh, went through the rest of that week, just kind of, my, my lip was dragging, you know, I was, I was just pouting, you know, I was just mad at myself. I didn't hear God right. Was I disobedient? Um, did I miss my purpose on the team? I was discouraged. Um, it, it was a really dark time for me. You know, I, I just, and I, I'm guessing a lot of people can relate uh, that are listening right now. Like you, you think that you hear God and then it just, it just gets slammed back in your face in just a really ugly, sad way. So I just uh, went through the rest of that week, tried to enjoy the football aspect. We played in the Rose Bowl, which was a, a, a dream, you know, <laughs> like to not only just attend the Rose Bowl, but then to be in uniform on the sideline. And it was just incredible. And um, a couple of days after the game, I'm at home still processing things. And uh, I get a call from a teammate saying, hey, did you hear about Mario? Uh, Mario was our kicker on the team, record-setting kicker, uh, one of my closest friends on the team. And this was before social media. You know, I, I hate to date myself, but I think we can all <laughs> remember those days. Um, and so you didn't get news instantly back then. You had to get kind of the phone tree or uh, however that worked back then. But I got a call from a teammate saying, hey, did you hear about Mario? I was like, no, what happened to Mario? He's like, oh, no, Mario died um, last night. Uh, we don't know how, but he's he's gone. And so now I'm, I'm not just dealing with discouragement and doubt, but now I'm dealing with death and grief and losing a friend and a teammate at 21 years old. It was just the most gut wrenching thing imaginable. Um, a few days later, we go to his funeral together as a team and we're sitting there stuffed in these pews in this tiny little church. 
And we, I look up as the casket passes by. I'm sitting right on the aisle, and as the casket passes by, I look up, and there, on top of the casket, there's the Bible that I'd placed in his locker, with the note sticking out of it. The, the, mm. It was the literal Bible that I'd placed in his locker, and I had no idea what it meant, but it just felt like it was God's comforting touch for me in that moment. It just helped me get through that grief and that heartache and all that discouragement that I faced that year. And, um, ended up working at USC for the next couple of years um, and uh, worked for Pete Carroll there at USC. And then a couple of years later, uh, he took the job with the Seahawks, asked me to move up there with him. So I moved up uh, to work for him up in Seattle, not knowing anyone in Seattle other than, than coach. And uh, so I was kind of desperate to make friends, desperate to get involved with things and uh, hear about this group called Young Life. They were looking for volunteer mm-hmm. leaders. I had never heard of Young Life before but it was a Christian organization. They need volunteers. I'm like, uh, count me in. I need something to do with my time. Maybe I'll meet some good people there too. And so show up at this informational meeting and a former teammate of mine walks through the door. His name was Taylor. He was our punter on the team. And I hadn't seen him since Mario's funeral four years earlier. So my world is rocked in that boat because I, mm. I I'm running into someone I hadn't seen in years in a place a thousand miles from the last place I saw him. I mean, it was just one of those jarring experiences. So we kind of remove ourselves from this leader meeting and we're catching up and I'm like, Taylor, what's going on? Like, tell me about your life. And he's like, dude, craziest thing. I, like I'm on fire for Jesus right now. I, I, I don't know if you remember how I was back when I was on the team, but I was not that way when we were on the team. And I was like, well, tell me like, what's going on? And he's like, do you remember the last week we were on the team together? There were Bibles in all of our lockers. And my heart stopped in that moment. Because, I mean, I had kind of put that side of my story, just cast it aside, just threw it away. You know, it just, that was failure. That was defeat. That was discouragement. I just kind of chalked it up as a total loss. And so when he said that, you know, it, my heart stopped. And for some reason, I just, my my mind just went to play dumb. You know, like, don't don't say you know anything about it, you know? <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I kind of remember those. Um, he's like, dude, the craziest thing happened. So he starts to tell me that he grew up in a Christian home grew up going to church. And when he went to college, he was tired of church. He was tired of religion. He was tired of reading the Bible and and all that. And so he decided to turn and live life on his own terms. So for four years of college, he did exactly that. And senior year, he's walking into the locker room and he sees a Bible in his locker. And he thinks to himself, man, this is weird. Like, I don't, I don't need this. I've already done all this stuff in my life. And this, uh, who's trying to shove religion down my throat? I don't need this right now. So he kind of threw his aside, didn't think much of it. And he's going out to the practice field that morning and he thought he was the last one in the locker room because he was a punter and, and punters and, and kickers kind of operate on a different schedule with football practice. So that's, that's one way to call it. One way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's putting it nicely. But um, <laughs> so he thought he was the last one to leave the locker room and uh, he hears a voice in the back corner going, What is this? So he was confused because. He didn't, he didn't know anyone else was in there. And he turns around in the back corner of the locker room. There's Mario, our kicker, sitting in his locker, thumbing through the Bible, going, what is this? Now, Taylor being our punter and Mario being our kicker, they spent all their time together. They were best friends. And Taylor screams across the locker room, Mario, come on, man. We got to get to practice. Mario's like, no, no, no. What am I supposed to do with this? And so Taylor's telling me four years later, he's like, yeah, I just felt this nudge on my heart that I needed to go sit down next to him. So he sat down on his helmet, his pads there at the doorstep and he turned around and he walked back and he sat down next to Mario and he's like, it was the weirdest thing, but all these words 
were coming out of my mouth. All, all these things that I learned as a kid in youth group and going to church, it's like they were just pouring out of my mouth. I, didn't, I, had, I had no awareness of it. It, was just, it just started happening. And I started talking Mario through the Bible. And I was sharing the gospel with them. And as I'm doing this, it's really weird because like, I didn't even know what I believed in those moments. But all those things that were in my heart that I didn't even realize, they came, out, they came pouring out and, and just sharing it with Mario. And so Taylor said for the rest of that week, Mario couldn't put the Bible down. Every spare moment he had, he was reading the Bible. Every few minutes between meetings, every, football, every few minutes between football practice, every bus ride, every spare moment he had, he was reading the Bible. And Taylor said that at the end of that week, Mario was like, you know what, Taylor? This Bible is real. God is real. Jesus is real. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give him my life. Like, what, what, how do I do that? And Taylor's like, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I'm not, I have no idea. I haven't been to church in years. I, I think you just pray or something. And so the two of them just pray there in, the, in that moment, just a few days before the Rose Bowl, just a few days before Mario would end up passing away mysteriously. And so Taylor's telling me this story four years later. And I've got goosebumps at this point. I'm, I'm on the verge of tears. And Taylor's like, yeah, when I got that phone call that Mario died, it all came into focus for me that God had rescued Mario. God had wanted to reach Mario in his final days on earth. And Mario went to heaven because of that Bible. And Taylor's like, yeah, I got, I got a firsthand, a front row seat to, to watching my best friend start a relationship with God and go to heaven just before he passed away. And so Taylor's like, yeah, when I got that call, obviously I was overcome with grief, but I was also overcome with the power and the love of God. And in that moment, I, I recommitted my life to Jesus and I haven't looked back since. And that's why I'm here today. I want to tell more people about Jesus and it just hasn't been the same since. And, and so I, I, at this point, I'm, I got tears flowing down my face and I'm like, Taylor, that's the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. And, even crazier because I was the one that put the Bible in the locker. And for all these years, I thought I was a total failure mm. and, and we gave each other a huge hug and, and it was just, I mean, that's, that's God, <laughs> you know, like yeah. God at work, even when I couldn't see it, even when I'm doubting, even when I'm discouraged, God was at work, not just reaching someone just in their final days before they passed away, but also transforming another person's life who's still to this day following Jesus and that's God that's that's the only way to explain it is is God at work yeah Ben what I love about the story is it's it's so uh there's a consistent pattern in this story of the way in which God operates right I mean Things that we go, that's crazy. That would never happen. Yet God is doing some of these impossible behind the scenes redemptive things. Even the idea of brokenness and then redemption, right? Even brokenness of your shoulder that shouldn't have been redeemed and healed all of a sudden gets you back on the field. The brokenness of a literal Bible ripped, Bible's ripped open and spread all over the floor. Actually, Mario, you, you know, brokenness of Mario's death, but then being redeemed what you hear with Taylor. Taylor's story of walking away, of God using someone who's walked away to bring Mario to Jesus. Like, it's like an unbelievable story. I kept reading this, even to our boys out loud, going, no way, even by <laughs> myself, like, no way. So it's a fantastic book. And I'm so glad it would be a great book if there were no spiritual component to it. 
But that was just the setup to then the spiritual <laughs> component that you wrote in the book. And I'm so grateful for the way in which you are stewarding that story well. Uh, and as you mentioned, I know you went on after you graduated to work with Pete Carroll as the director of online media for the football team and then creating PeteCarroll.com. Um, and wasn't at that point, there was this little thing that no one ever heard of called Twitter. Like, wasn't that like <laughs> at the, right at the cutting edge? Yeah. Yeah. Is well, that true? It was like right when Facebook went oh. public. To oh, like, Facebook. Yeah. yeah okay. So it was like, Facebook was only available to like college students for a yeah, while. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden they opened it up to anyone who wants it. And I was like, Hey Pete, it'd be pretty funny if you got on Facebook, you're like 55 years old at the time. <laughs> and uh, you're a football coach. So let's put you on Facebook. And within an hour, he had maxed out on friends, you know. Yeah. It was, and it just blew up, right? You had yeah. like a million followers or something. Yeah. Like, exactly. Right away on the it, social media channels. It was crazy. So it was just right place at the right time. And, and he's so open to do, doing new things and, and being connected to people. So it was, it was a really cool opportunity. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I want to ask you, since you were kind of on the, the, the front end of that, even just seeing teams utilize social media really well. I mean, that to us, of course, they do it now. But at that time, that was so new and so different, which is why it blew up. Um, so you built the, so, the social media platforms there uh, with the football team into something wildly successful. Um, so let me ask you this. What is there for pastors and a lot of church leaders that might be listening to this? In terms of using social media and technology healthily, appropriately, and strategically, there seems to be two camps of let's just mindlessly accept all of it, and then over here going, oh, it's all bad. Both of which <laughs> are, are inaccurate and are wrong. So what are some ways, is there anything you learned in terms of how do you leverage it appropriately, but, but also be healthy in the process? Any yeah, wisdom on that? That's a great question. Um, and obviously it's different for everyone. You know, there's not a, a one size fits all or a, a one prescription for everyone. So I think that's kind of the, the number one thing because uh, a celebrity is going to handle it differently than someone who's got a hundred followers. So um, that's just kind of a caveat to whatever I say next. So <laughs> um, what I'm thinking of is, is kind of our vision for all those years that I was with Pete doing all that. And we were, we, built it from zero to he's got two and a half million followers on Twitter alone right now. And uh, almost, I think four million, four or 5 million combined with everything else he's got, uh, all the other social media channels. So um, to, I think the most important thing was that we were authentic, that we're not trying to portray a, a mask or, or some kind of personality that he wasn't. So just being really true. And then um, a huge part of authenticity is not feeling like you have a quota. Uh, mm. I think a lot of people um, think that they have to post X number of times per day or X number of times per week or whatever mm. it is. And, um, and uh, for some people, that's, that may be as helpful, but it's also it, you kind of rub up against that authenticity when you feel this urge, oh, I got to fulfill my quota, you know, <laughs> like I got to post one time a day or whatever it is like. Some days you don't have to post, you know, you don't, if you have nothing to say, don't say it. It's, um, it's a listening channel as well. So, um, I think that's a, a huge way, uh, that we can help, uh, just utilize it to the extreme. And then the last thing I'm thinking of too, is, is to make it a team effort. Um, Pete did a really good job of kind of empowering me to run it. Um, mm -hmm. and I think you have some checks and balances when it's more than just one set of eyes on it. 
Um, and so it just saves you a lot of hassle and a lot of problems when you have two, three, four people kind of contributing, uh, to that. So, mm, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. That's great. I, I, in addition to ministry, I mean, you know, pastors are also leaders too. So I want to talk a little bit about leadership and culture because, um, I mean, I, I've always been a p- big Pete Carroll fan in terms of the culture that he creates. You talk about this in the book. You actually open your book talking about the story of the play call that sort of lost the Super Bowl, which some said was the worst call in sports history. You were right there on the sidelines. In fact, I think you said you were about to head back to the the locker room with the Super Bowl to actually write the post-game bullet points, which you did for Pete Carroll uh, after games. I mean, here's a guy, nine seasons at USC, producing, what, 27 first-team first All-Americans, 56 NFL draft picks, three Heisman Trophy winners. I mean, this is crazy, the amount of excellence, not just in college, but then jumping to the pros. I think he's just, what, one of three coaches in, history, in the history of the game to win both the Super Bowl and um, the College National Championship. But the culture, I want you to talk a little bit about the culture. I think in the book, if I remember right, you said Pete Carroll had three rules on the team. Protect the team, no whining, complaining, or excuses, and be early. Yeah. Uh, what did that do in terms of leadership and creating a culture on the team? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, those three rules, uh, he's, he's stolen a couple of them from Coach John Wooden, the legendary okay. UCLA okay. basketball coach. <laughs> so he can't get full credit, but uh, he has done a great job of implementing them. Um, so always protect the team is all about developing a conscience. Um, and so it's having every single person who's a part of the team to develop that, that team first conscience. And so that's what you say in the media. It's what you post on social media. It's how you act on Friday nights. You're always thinking about the other people on the team. Uh, rule number two, no whining, no complaining, no excuses is your self-talk is how do you talk to yourself? Um, and I think that's a huge way that we can all grow no matter where we're at in life is what's the, what's the inner voice saying to you right now? Is it a voice of love and truth and encouragement, or is it a, a voice of shame and, and discouragement and condemnation? Um, so just being aware of that self-talk and the number three is be early. Um, that's about respect, um, respecting other people first and foremost and respecting their time, but also respecting your opportunities. Um, like why would you want to show up a few minutes late when that could be the only opportunity you get, you know? And so, um, it, it's, it's really cool. Those all come together to form that culture. And, um, the culture is ultimately built on love, um, really. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that speaks directly to your audience. You know, a, a church culture is, is built on love. Um, do we love each other? Do we love God? And, um, that's how the football team was run with the Seahawks and, and still is to this day. So, yeah, that's great. and. You know, when I think of Pete Carroll, I think not only of winning and excellence, I think of his energy for his age is just unbelievable. The way he can chomp his gum is unbelievable too. But, uh, but also, one of the things that I love that you talked about in the book, which I, when I coach leaders, I talk about often, is Tell the Truth Mondays. I want you to unpack Tell the Truth Mondays because this is valuable. This may be one of the most, the best leadership nuggets that I found in the book. Uh, tell us what Tell the Truth Mondays are for, with Pete Carroll. Yeah. So the, the whole goal is uh, on a Monday. So the day after your game um, is to all, all get on the same page. And the easiest and most effective way to all get on the same page is to figure out what the truth is. Um, because there is truth out there. You know, there it's not like, oh, I'm going to have my opinions on what happened in the game. No, it's the, the truth is we went one for 10 on third down. You know, that's mm-hmm. the truth. 
Um, mm. The truth is we threw three interceptions or the truth is we got three interceptions, you know, whatever it may be. And so to, to kind of start as your foundation is truth um, allows everyone to move forward uh, from the same spot. And truth uh, lends to accountability too. So mm. when, when the truth is out there, then it's like, okay, I can take accountability. Um, I can hold myself accountable um, to whatever the truth is. So, um, yeah, so that, that that's it's just a really cool aspect of the program because if if we're all operating in truth, um, I mean, let's go to the Bible. You know, <laughs> like yeah. the truth sets you free. You know, and um, and you can walk in freedom. Um, truth is so tied with love, um, and so yeah, tell the truth Monday is is so important, and um, it's not just like stats in the game, but it's how's our attitude, you know, like mm. where, where's our perspective at? What's our mindset at? Um, let's, let's operate. Let, let's talk about where we're at right now and then let's move forward from there. Mm. I, ben, that is so good. And I th- actually think that there is something there for pastors and leaders. Although this is called the Monday morning pastor podcast where Mondays are sometimes a little bit difficult for pastors to name the truth because sometimes it's really discouraging. So maybe it's tell the truth Tuesdays for yeah. pastors after they yeah. get a day to recover. But I love that idea of accountability. One of the things when I work with pastors and leaders, when I coach them is to say, naming things has a way of taming things, but also naming things has a way of changing things. Yes. You can't change it until you name it first of what actually happened. Yes. And so this is one of the reasons why I was so grateful for this principle. And I've shared this with many people about Tell the Truth Mondays. We've got to be on the same page of what's actually happening if we're going to change. And I love the word accountability, which sounds like, not a dirty word, but a very positive word. Oh, in the for sure. Carol. Yeah. Well, the way we interpreted accountability was it just equals you can count on me. Mm. Um, and so if I take accountability, then that means next time I'm in that situation, you can count on me because I'm aware of what happened last time. I'm aware of my mistakes or where I came up short. And so it just, it builds that trust and it mm. builds that, that ability for me to say, Hey, you can, you can count on me. Um, because I'm, I'm learning and I can see the truth and I can move forward. I love that definition. So simple. You can count on me. Yeah. That, I, I've never heard a better, more simple uh, explanation of what accountability is. That's, and it, that's and it rhymes too. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I know you're not a pastor, and I know, but I know that you are a person of faith and that uh, faith is a significant part of your life. And so I'm really curious, just as we close, is there anything that you would want to tell or encourage pastors or remind pastors uh, or maybe share something new with pastors? Just any perspective you'd want to provide just as you reflect on your own story uh, to just think about God and his goodness in the world in which we live in? Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I keep reminding myself of the story I got to share here. Um, and I, I'm the one who needs to hear it more than anyone every time. And I hope that it, it resonates with every person listening today, um, mm. that sometimes we're going to plant seeds and we're not going to see a harvest. Mm. Um, and so just to be faithful, just to keep sowing those seeds and our timing is not God's timing. Um, he's mm. got far greater timing. And so just, just to keep being faithful, just keep planting those seeds, um, keep loving people, um, keep being a light. Um, and as Isaiah 55 says, if his work goes out, it will not return void. And so Mm. just the trust that God is at work, whether you can see the fruit or not right now, God is at work. Mm. And um, I think that's the title of the book, obviously, is walk on for representing my my status as a walk on. But it's also an encouragement for all of us to just walk on 
And really mm-hmm. it just, it's little steps of faith every day. We can't, we can't walk a mile in one step, you know, it's, it's, we got to take little steps at a time. And so just to keep taking those little steps of faith, keep being faithful, keep selling those seeds and trust that God is at work, whether you can see it or not right now. Mm. You know, Ben, I've read the book. I've looked at the cover many times. I've thought about the title. I've never thought about that idea of it being a double message of like, walk on, keep walking. Yeah. It makes total sense to me now. I was just thinking in terms of the football metaphor, uh, you know, of a walk on on a team. But yeah, walk on. What great encouragement. And uh, this has just been a blast of a conversation, Ben. And I'm so grateful uh, for the chance uh, to have you on. Thanks for telling your story. And if people wanted to stay in touch with you, what's the easiest way? Is there a website or what's the easiest way that, that people can learn more about you? Yeah, so uh, I've got website, benmalcolmson.com and all the social media channels at Ben Malcolmson. Uh, my book's available on Amazon, Walk On. And uh, yeah, I would love to stay in touch and, and be connected. Yeah, great. Well, thanks again, Ben. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, JR. I appreciate you. All right, thanks. Thanks.